We ended off in Numbers where the children of Israel come to the promised land. God's ready to take them in, but they don't believe that God's bigger than the giants or that God is bigger than the walled city of Jericho. They choose to walk in unbelief. So God says, you're not going to enter in the promised land. Everybody 20 and above will die in the wilderness. They'll wander in the wilderness and die. And yet we see, even though God has brought this loving correction in their lives, he hasn't forsaken them. He hasn't abandoned them. And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 15. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you've come into the land, you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you. This would be a moment where God could have forsaken the nation of Israel and allowed them to stay in their sin. But God speaks and he says, when you come into the land, even though there's been rebellion, even though there's a generation that won't go into the land, their kids, all those 20 and under, are going to enter into the promised land. And God says, when I bring you into the land, here's the things that are important. And God then reviews the laws of the grain offering and the drink offering. And we've spent quite a bit of time with those offerings in Exodus and uh, Leviticus. So we're gonna jump forward to verse 22 of chapter uh, 15. And God instructs when you sin unintentionally. If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord had commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it will be if it is unintentionally committed without knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, a sweet aroma to God, which is the grain offering and the drink offering according to the ordinances, and one kid of the goats as a sin offering. So sinning in an unintentional way. There's definitely sin that is intentional, that's willful, uh, that's defiant, but then there's also sin that is unintentional. There's probably a lot of sin that we're not even aware of in our lives that the Lord is, is aware of. And so these are those unintentional sins that once they became aware of them, they were to offer these sacrifices. All of the sacrifices point to our need for Jesus, our need for Christ to die for our sins, these animal sacrifices could only cover sin, but Jesus takes away our sin. When John the Baptist saw Jesus and introduced him, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's Christ who, who takes away our sin. In verse 25, so the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them. For it was unintentional, they shall bring their offering an offering made by fire to the Lord and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger who dwells among them because all of the people did it unintentionally. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally. 
for him who is native born among the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among you. There was many who joined the congregation of Israel from other nations. We know Egyptians joined the Israelites when they fled from bondage. And God says it's the same law. It's the, it's the same law whether you're a Jew or you're Gentile, whether you're from the congregation or you're a stranger that has been brought in. And it's one Savior no matter what your ethnic group is, isn't it? No matter what your culture is, no matter what your background is, no matter what country you, you come from, there's one Savior, there's one that saves, and it's the, the name of Jesus. And we rally under the banner of Christ. It goes from unintentional sin to presumptuous sin in verse 30. But the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is a native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord and he shall be cut off from among his people. Because he's despised the word of the Lord and has broken the commandment, that the person shall be completely cut off, his guilt shall be upon him. Presumptuous sin is this idea of defiance. In the Hebrew, uh, the word, it speaks of lifting up your hand. It's knowing exactly what you're doing. It's kind of raising your fist to God, saying, God, I'm gonna be in disobedience to you. And when someone was in this kind of defiance, then they were cut off from the children of Israel. Now remember, the law points us to Jesus. The law points us to our schoolmasters, our schoolmaster that drives us to Christ. I wish that we were all in a place where the only sin that we did was unintentional. But there's a lot of defiant sin in my life. I'm sure there's defiant sin in, in your life as well. As I look back at my life, there, there was times where there was defiant sin. And thankfully, Jesus is the sacrifice for our defiant sin as well. Now, having said that, we don't want to have that type of attitude towards the Lord. We don't want to walk in that kind of heart condition before the Lord of, well, Jesus, I know you're for, going to forgive me, so I'm going to walk in defiance before you. Hopefully his sacrifice has won our hearts to where we want to serve him, we want to, to please him. We get an example of defiance, presumptuous sin in verse 32. Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. God said, don't work on the Sabbath day. Sun goes down on Friday till when it goes down on Saturday. That 24-hour period is to be a time of rest, a time of, of renewal. And, and here this man is out gathering sticks, probably for a fire on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. This is wisdom here. They don't make a quick decision, a quick verdict, but say, okay, let's go ahead and arrest him and then we'll decide what we're supposed to do because he's disobeyed uh, the Sabbath day. In verse 35, then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All of the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. You know, it's been said that sticks and stones break your bones. I guess that's true, right? So here he is gathering sticks and ultimately he is stoned. That He is, loses his life for being disobedient uh, to, to God. This may seem really harsh that God would 
speak to Moses and say he should be killed because he broke the Sabbath. But again, it highlights the power of the new covenant. It highlights how much we need the blood of Jesus to die uh, for our sins. God is communicating some things here. He's showing us that he is serious about the Sabbath. It's for our good to be able to rest. And we're not under this heavy yoke of the law, the new covenant of God's grace, where God's not gonna strike you down dead if you don't rest. But it's always good to go by the manual of the manufacturer, isn't it? What would happen to your car if you're like, I'm just gonna drive it for 300,000 miles and I'm not gonna change the oil? Probably wouldn't go very good. Try living your life without any rest and see how it goes. God designed us for rest, for us to be renewed when we rest in the Lord. I can feel it in my soul when I rest, when I choose to set aside a day to not work and enjoy the Lord and enjoy the family and wait upon the Lord. It's even better when I turn my phone off. To rest, it's good for us. It's God's blessing for us. Also, we see that this does point to Christ. The Sabbath points to Christ. The the Sabbath is a shadow of the reality of Jesus, that he's the one who is our rest. So God's serious about the Sabbath because it's a picture of his son. Also, this man is adding to something that God had not asked him to do. God had not asked him to work on the Sabbath day. Resting is a practical expression of, of trust in the Lord. Our rest is found in Jesus, and when we try to add to the work of Jesus, it's going to result in death. Oh, I've got to read my Bible every day to have God's favor. Well, I've got to tithe to have God's, God's favor. I've got to share the gospel to, to have God's, God's favor. We're, we're adding to what God has asked us to do. We have God's favor because of the blood of Jesus. And when we rest in that, that brings life to us spiritually and causes us to respond to say, I want to read my Bible. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to give. I want to invest my, my treasure in heaven. But when it becomes legalism, it, it ultimately brings to death. In verse 36, so the Lord commanded Moses and all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put blue thread in the tassel of the corners. So why blue thread in the tassel of the corners? This blue thread was to serve as a reminder. Every time that they would see it, a, a visual reminder. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commands of the Lord and do them and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So it was to be a reminder of God's word and a reminder that their hearts and their eyes are, are prone to idolatry. Harlotry, spiritual unfaithfulness before the, before the Lord. What did Israel always struggle with throughout the Old Testament? It was worshiping other gods. 
What made David stand out so much from the other kings is he definitely committed sin, but he never went into idolatry. He always kept the main thing, the main thing, and that was his love for the Lord. So we've got to know that our heart is prone to the same thing. We're cut from the same cloth. And we need to be reminded of God's word. We need to be reminded of his love for us. We need to be reminded of our relationship with him. God hasn't given up on them, even though they're wandering in the wilderness. Does God want you to to have this, this blue tied to your garments, the corner of your garments, so you'll remember me, you'll remember my commands, and you won't slip into idolatry. Verse 40, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. What are some maybe some visual reminders that you could put in your life to help you to be mindful of the Lord, to help us be mindful of the fact that we're traveling to heaven? Don't let your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. We're closer to heaven than we've ever been before. We don't know when the rapture of the church is going to happen, when Jesus is going to call us home. It's not about this life. It's, It's about eternal life. Are there some verses that you can put in places that you're going to look every day? Okay, I look at the mirror every day, whether I like it or not. <laughs> I'm going to put some verses up. You know, can you have some verses on your phone, those visual reminders of God's love for us and our relationship with him? Chapter 16, a group rises up against Moses. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abram, the son of Eliab, and the son of Pethel, the sons of Reuben, took men. So you've got a pretty good group of guys that are upset with Moses and upset with his his leadership. And who stands out is Levi and, and Reuben. The descendants of Aaron were the high priests The Levites were the ones that did a lot of the labor around the the tabernacle. And these men reach out to other men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregations, representatives of the congregation's men of renown. So they get the ear of the leaders. They get the ear of the 250 men that have been delegated the responsibility of watching out over the the children of Israel. No doubt that some of these men are good friends with Moses. Men that Moses trusted, men that Moses has done life with and served the Lord together, and they have this complaint against Moses. And they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for all of the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Moses, you've served for too long, during too much, and don't you know that all of the congregation of the children of Israel are holy? God is the midst of, of all of us, and you've lifted yourself up amongst the, the people. Now, is it true that God's amongst the people? Yes. Is it true that 
all of the people are, are holy? To some degree, yes. Does God have a call on everyone's life? Yes. Are we all part of the body of Christ? Yes. But does God also raise up leaders? Yes. And Moses has been raised up by the Lord for this time and, and this purpose. And verse four, so when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. There's gonna be times where those will come against you. And we're all leaders in different fashions. And you pour your life into people, you love them and, and you serve them. And at times they'll turn their back on you. At times they'll, they'll see your love and your service is actually a, a detriment uh, to them. How do we respond to this? I suggest the best way is what Moses does and he falls upon his face before the Lord in humility. It's so hard to not get defensive. It's so hard to be like, how could you? Moses could have really gone there with these guys. Say, guys, I trusted you. We've done life together and, and now you're, you're coming against me, but he doesn't get defensive. He doesn't try to advocate for himself. He simply falls upon his face before the Lord. He gives it over to the Lord. Let God handle it. Let God take, take care of it. This is what David would do with Saul. Saul's coming against him and trying to, to kill him, trying to pin him to the wall with a spear on several occasions, hunting him down like a dog throughout Israel. And David chose to not take out Saul with his own hand. And he trusted it over to the Lord. He gave it over to the Lord. He gave it over to, to the Lord. And that's where we find all of these songs in the Psalms where God is my refuge. He, he's my defense. Moses gives this over uh, to the Lord. And he spoke to Korah and his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him, that one whom he chose, he will cause to come near to him. God's gonna sort this out. I don't have to sort this out. God's gonna show who he's chosen for leadership. Do this, take censers, Korah and all your company. Censers are these containers to hold incense, so they're to put fire and incense in these censers, put fire in them, put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi. So he's addressing specifically the Levites. It is a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? God had given the Levites a great responsibility. They had been separated from all of the children of Israel, but yet it's not enough for them. They're, they're wanting more. In verse 10, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and your brethren, the sons of Levi with you, and you are seeking the priesthood also. Do you ever struggle with authority? 
Authority can be difficult, can't it? And sometimes our struggle with authority can be right and can be just. Moses is a godly leader. What do we do when there's an ungodly leader? Well, we're to respect them and to come underneath their leadership until they ask us to do something that's contradictory to God's word. Then we have to honor God. And that's what we find in the book of Acts. We're going to honor God and, and not men. But then there's other times where they're not asking us to be contradictory to God's word. Maybe they're asking us to do something that's different than the way that we would do it. Or we know a better way, and they're asking us to do it a different way, but it's not necessarily wrong. It's not unbiblical, it's not immoral, it's not unethical. And we have to wrestle in our hearts, why am I struggling with this authority? Is it for a godly reason, or is it for a sinful reason? And for the Levites, it was sinful. They were wanting leadership that God hadn't given to them. They were wanting Moses' position. They were wanting Aaron's position. And the position that they had wasn't enough. We want to serve God out of joy and contentment, not out of longing to fill an empty identity. That I'm doing this to try to fill my identity, and I've always got to have more. And I've always got to have more, and I've got, got to have more. And wow, Lord, you're really using that person over there. Why aren't you using my life like them? So that's what Moses addresses with the Levites. If we're not content with what the Lord has given us now, we're not going to be content if he gives us more in the future. Verse 11, Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? Moses points out who you're really complaining against is the Lord. That's who you're wrestling with because the Lord has set up Moses. It's gracious of Moses to defend Aaron here because not too much prior, Aaron was questioning Moses' leadership as well. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliah, but they said, we will not come up. (laughs) They wouldn't even come to, to meet with Moses. They'll complain, but they won't meet. It is a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Did I read that right? Did they call Egypt the land flowing with milk and honey? How skewed is their perspective? Rebellion is really birthed out of pride and pride will skew your perspective. They see Egypt as the land of milk and honey instead of seeing it accurately that it was a place of of bondage. Verse 14, Moreover, you have brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put us, put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry And said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. Moses goes to the appropriate place with his anger. He goes to the Lord. And Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all of your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let's let the Lord sort this out. 
Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all of the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all of the congregation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from amongst this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation. So the Lord said to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So God's ready to bring mass judgment on all the Israelites. If Moses and Aaron are saying, please, no, don't judge all of the Israelites, judge those who are in sin. So God says, I want you to separate yourself from these men who are causing rebellion. Be careful who you hang out with in the sense of who are your close friends, your close associates, where you really go to get nourishment to, to your soul. If your, your better friends have that spirit of rebellion, that's going to rub off. Oftentimes when we teach our kids, man, it's so important who you choose to, for your friends because your friends are going to influence you, you greatly. And you may know someone in your life that just has that spirit of rebellion. It's not godly rebellion. Any type of, of rule that's put over them, any type of guidance that's put over them, they're like, man, I, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. No one is going to tell me what to do. You might just want to back away. Because that's going to lead to trouble. And ultimately, they're, they're wrestling with the Lord. So God says, back away from these men. Then Moses rose and went to Dothan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So don't touch any of their possessions. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them on my own will. So you're going to see that God is the one that called me to do this. What really matters is, are you called by God? Are you approved by God? Are you established by God? And Moses is able to say, you know, I didn't do this by my own will. If you remember, Moses was pretty reluctant to follow this call saying, Lord, please choose someone else. And God's like, no, I'm, I'm the great I am. In verse 29, if these men die naturally like all men, or if they're visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive in the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. So if they die naturally then you know that I'm the one in the wrong. But if God does something supernatural and swallows them up, then you know that they were the, in the wrong here. Notice this in verse 31. 
Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opens its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. I guess it saves on burial costs. (laughs) This would be phenomenal to see all of a sudden the the earth just opens up and, and swallows these men who are leading the rebellion with their families. Now we know from God's word that God doesn't judge the kids according to their parents' sin, that that each are responsible for their own sin, so we have to assume that the families were in on this rebellion. Probably where the rebellion began is in these tents. Who do you think Moses is? Isn't it time for a better leader? His performance is not very well. He hasn't brought us into to the promised land. So it, it's not just the fathers and the men, but it's the wives and the kids as well. This is humbling for us as dads and husbands. Well, what's the spirit in our home? Is it one of submission to God? Is it one of edification? Or is it one of rebellion? You know, are we always fired up about all the authority that we don't like? Now, don't get me wrong. I think we need to be standing up against authority that instructs us to contradict God's word. There is a, is a godly rebellion. But many times, there is also a rebellion that isn't godly. How we speak about a boss that's maybe difficult to deal with declares volumes to our kids, doesn't it? We're really showing either a heart of submission or a heart of rebellion. Kids, you know my my boss is brutal. You know that it's a hard person to work for, but I'm trusting the Lord. And let's pray for him. Maybe God will soften their heart. So God holds these whole families accountable. In verse 33, so they and all those who were with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all of Israel who are around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. They're like, man, get me out of here. Maybe the earth is gonna swallow me up as well. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So those 250 leaders are consumed as well. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censer out of the blaze for they are holy and scatter the fire some distance away. So this fire in the censers had been offered to the Lord and it's holy so it needed to be released some distance away. Then the censers of these men who sinned against their own souls Let them be made into hammered plates as covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy and they shall be a sign to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censer with those who burned up had presented and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he may not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. 
So they take these censers, make it into one piece of bronze and put it over the altar to be a memorial reminder that it's only the descendants of Aaron that are able to enter into the tabernacle and draw near to the Lord in that way. Now brace yourself for verse 41. This is just mind-blowing, verse 41. On the next day, all of the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. That is really bold. You have the original group with their families that get swallowed up, plus the 250 leaders, and you'd think that this would result in some fear of the Lord. Okay, God, we get it. You've called Moses and Aaron. But then the next day, they wake up, and they're hot to trot to say, what's up with Moses? And they start to complain against Moses, blaming Moses that Moses has killed the people of the Lord. Like Moses can open up the earth and swallow people. This was God's doing. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. God calls a meeting. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put the incense and made atonement for the people and he stood between the dead and the living so the plague was stopped. Now those who lived in the plague were, now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the core incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Aaron's really a picture of Jesus here. Jesus is the high priest who come and makes atonement for us with the plague of sin that brings eternal death, eternal separation from the Lord. But 14,700 die as a result of this complaining. It would have been more if Aaron didn't come making atonement for their sin, standing between the dead and the living. Throughout Scripture, one of the themes that God gives us is he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One of the practical ways to express humility is to come under the leadership that God has provided in your life. And again, if that leadership is asking you to do things contrary to the scriptures, you you honor God. But if they're not asking you to do things that are contrary to scriptures, we honor and obey them because we're coming underneath God's authority. It's a really important lesson in our lives to learn. And if we'll learn it, we put ourselves under God's blessing. Why does God teach children to honor their father and mother? It's the first promise with blessing. Because this is the first place that we deal with authority, don't we? 
And it's a difficult process to learn to obey your parents uh, growing up. It wasn't an easy lesson for me to learn, but it was an important one. Because if children can learn to honor and obey their parents, that's going to correlate into how they treat teachers and how they treat bosses and how they treat police officers and the the God-given authority that he's placed in our lives. God made this world where he does set up authority. And if we don't learn that, we're ultimately kicking against the Lord, just like those that we read in in chapter uh, 17, chapter 16. Now chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods, write each man's name on his rod. So 12 tribes, a rod from each tribe, each key leader, and God is going to affirm Aaron's leadership. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place in them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. So, so take these rods, take them into the tabernacle to the Ark of the Covenant where, where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus, I will rid myself from the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. God's saying, I'm gonna settle this once and for all. Whoever's rod blossoms with flowers, that's the one that I've chosen for the priesthood. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to their father's houses. Twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron, the house of Levi, had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. (laughs) This is supernatural that this rod, the stick, would have blossoms and also have ripe almonds. (laughs) God is saying, Aaron is the one who I've chosen. And this is ultimately the way that God validates leadership is when there's fruit that only God can produce. We want to spend time with the Lord. He's the vine. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. As we're connected to the vine, as we're with him in his tabernacle, then he's going to bring fruit in our lives. Agape love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, singular. Then the rest describe love. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. All of that describes love. When your life blossoms with God's love, agape love, the kind of love that only God can produce, a love for Him, a love for others, the body of Christ, a love for unbelievers, and a desire to go and and share the gospel, your life is blossoming in a way that only God can produce. And there may be those that come against you and ridicule you and say, who are you to to serve the Lord? But the Lord's bringing forth that evidence of, of fruit. 
And that's what we really want to look for is, God, I know myself. I know my sinfulness. Moses was aware of his own weaknesses. Aaron had sin as well. But Lord, if you want to use my life, would you bring fruit? Would you bring this blossom of love in my life? Without love, we're nothing. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're, we're instructed in that. We can do a lot of great things for the Lord, but if we don't have love, we, we don't have anything. We can be a great orator and be able to put together words perfectly, but if we don't have love, we, we don't have anything. We can make great sacrifice and even give our body to be burned, make the ultimate sacrifice, but if we don't have love, we don't have, have anything. Ultimately, you follow people that you know love and care for you. You're attracted to people that are filled with the love of God. The lost and dying world is, is attracted to the unconditional love of God. So get near to him, spend time with him, love on him, and he'll produce that blossom. He'll produce that, that ripe fruit of, of his love, and that's the validation of his calling on our lives. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that they may, that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. So Aaron's rod stays with the Ark of the Covenant to be a continual testimony that God had chosen Aaron and his descendants to be the priests. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? So there's this fear amongst God's people saying, Man, shall we come before the tabernacle? Because if we come before the tabernacle, we, we may die. Sometimes in our hearts, we can get to a place of going, I don't know if I want to get into the scriptures because when I do, it hurts. It cuts me. Or I don't know if I want to come to church because, man, when I come to church, I'm confronted with truth that, that I really don't want to hear. And that's the attitude that the congregation of Israel is taking at this point. Point. And yes, the word of God does cut. Yes, when we're gathered together and God's spirit is in our midst, sometimes God as a loving father confronts us with hard things. But the word of God is a surgical knife that cuts our hearts to ultimately bring forth greater health. God's not doing it to destroy us. The word of God's sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword to pierce us and, and to change us. The, the Holy Spirit is, is purifying our lives. So though it's painful, it's purposeful to bring about greater fruit in life. So may we guard ourselves against that temptation of, man, I don't want to get in the Word because I always get beat up. Or I, I don't want to be in church amongst God's people because I always get convicted. Instead, we should go, Father, thank you. Thank you that your Word is taking the bad out, confronting my sin and transforming my heart and my life. Is there authority in your life that you're pushing against and why? Why? 
Now, you may have a really good reason tonight. You might go, there's this authority in my life that's asking me to contradict God's word, and so I'm standing in God's word, and I'm exactly where God would want me to be. Praise the Lord. But it may be that God is asking us to submit to authority that he's placed in our life, that there is authority that's not asking us to do something that's contrary to scripture. So, so why am I pushing against authority? You know, maybe why do I get so upset that the speed limit's 35 and insist on going 50? You know, why do I get so upset that property taxes have gone up, right, as property values go up? This is the time of year where you get that notice in the mail and you're like, sweet, more property tax, right? And we can easily develop this attitude where we just have a, a negative view on, on authority and we're not in a place of godly disobedience. We're, we're in a place of selfish rebellion and, and the Lord wants to confront that this evening, you will be blessed by the Lord if you choose the path of humility. Jesus said that he was gentle and lowly. That's how he described himself. That's how he described his heart. And he confronted authority. And he confronted the scribes and the Pharisees. But he was always loving. And he was always respectful. Even to the point where he's on trial before Pilate. And who's really in control in that conversation? It wasn't Pilate. It, it was Jesus. So is there authority that I'm pushing against and why? And we better have a good reason. We be, better be able to get into God's word and go, you know, it's because of what God says in his word, this is why I'm choosing to disobey this authority that God has placed in my life. And then is someone challenging your authority? Not fun, right? And remember, God is the one who has raised you up. God is the one who gives promotion and establishes position. So we don't have to defend ourselves. We can take it before the Lord and adopt the mentality of Moses to fall on our faces before the Lord and say, God, this is what's being said against me. And they're coming against me, and it's very hurtful. This is people that were close to me, but God, I'm going to let you be my defense. I'm going to let you sort this out. And if you really have given me this leadership, and you've called me to this, then would you cause my life to blossom? Would you, would you cause my life to be filled with your love? Would you give me a heart for this person or this group of people that are coming against me? So rich lessons for us in the book of, of Numbers. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we know you're a God of order and you set up authority. You, you raise up leaders and kings, governmental uh, authority for your sovereign purposes that we don't see and we don't understand. And we do wrestle with authority that has been placed in our lives. And God, show us when it's time for godly disobedience, godly rebellion to say, no, I'm gonna honor the Lord. 
I'm going to honor his word. But also show us when we're walking in pride and we're walking in sinfulness and it's a time for humble submission. For those that are facing their own leadership being challenged, Lord, would you encourage them? Would you validate their leadership? So Lord, would you bring fruit through your word in Jesus' name, amen.